Hello, and welcome to season two of the Collegiate Ministries podcast. This season, we will be focusing on issues of mental health and college-age young adults in partnership with The Wellness Project, which is an initiative of Campus City Wesley and Studio Wesley, along with the Florida United Methodist Foundation. My name is Heather Pancoast, and I am one of the co-directors of the Gator Wesley Campus Ministry at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. As we begin, I'd like you to know that some of these interviews may contain sensitive material around the topic of mental health that could be difficult to hear for some of our listeners. Additionally, this podcast was produced for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to replace the advice of your therapist or doctor. We are so glad you are here and hope that this podcast is meaningful and helpful to you in your journey to mental wellness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first episode of The Wellness Project, a podcast put on by Collegiate Ministries. My name is Heather Pancoast, and I serve as the Campus Ministry Director at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College for Gator Wesley, um, the Campus Ministry of the United Methodist Church. And I am so excited to be here today with our first guest, um, Julie Mishu. I'm going to have her introduce herself to you in just a second, but just want to real briefly kind of set up for you what you can expect over the next several weeks. Um, Hopefully you had a chance to listen to our introduction podcast. If not, take a minute and do that and check it out. But we are really, really excited about talking with professionals um, in the field of mental health and specifically the intersection of mental health and young adults, why it matters, why it's so important, and particularly why campus ministries should be doing the work of walking alongside folks as they um, journey through their wellness and their mental health. Um, And so I'm going to ask Julie now to introduce herself to you guys so you can get to hear from her and then we'll jump in. Hey, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I was honored to even be asked to be a part of this because it is so important and something I'm very passionate about, Um, not only ministry, but mental health. Um, I did do 14 years of youth ministry and young adult ministry before uh, going and getting a master's degree in mental health. I am a registered clinical social work intern, and I have a private practice here in Gainesville. I'm doing all um, online Zoom counseling just to be more accessible to our local Floridians, uh, especially through the pandemic and all of this transition we've had for the last couple of years. I do live in Gainesville near Gator Wesley and um, have loved getting to be a part of University of Florida for so long. And I do have two middle school children here in town. So um, we'll, I know it'll just be, I'll be blinking and they'll be at UF. So it's awesome that um, Heather and Joel have been able to set this up and we're excited to be a part of it. Like Julie said, um, we are both very passionate about this intersection of campus ministry and mental health. And today for our very first episode, we really just wanted to kind of take some time to become familiar with some of the basics around the world of mental health and mental wellness topics, terms, phrases, things you might hear, um, how to access therapy, commonly misunderstood um, ideas around the world, around the field of mental health. So Julie's going to really help us just kind of do an overview and get to dive into some of these basic concepts and principles. I highly recommend that before you move on to any of the other episodes, you listen here. So we're starting here so you can be familiar kind of on the same page as we move forward. So Julie, 
I'm going to be asking everybody this question that I interview. So you get to be the first. And, and actually, when we did our introductory episode, um, Derek asked Rhymes and I the same exact question. And I've loved um, and I am loving to hear people's answers to this. So the first question I would love for you to t- uh, talk to us about is why mental health matters in campus ministry. Um, I love that question because, I mean, A, when does mental health not matter? But I think a lot of times people that grow up in the faith or even are new to the faith and excited, you know, new Christians like absorbing, growing, um, they lean so much on their faith to get them through a hard time, um, through a grieving process or a transition in life. You know, we look to God for help. And so then when we when we see ourselves needing additional help, we almost feel like it's a weakness of our faith. And like, well, if God is the ultimate healer, then why am I still suffering? Or why can't I get over this? Or why can't I move on? Uh, why do I feel this way? Um, if God wants, you know, loves me and wants me to be happy, then why don't I feel happy? And so sometimes we look and blame ourselves or get frustrated within our faith, even um, when we're struggling with our mental health. So it's really important to see um it has a whole wellness picture. And, you know, for college students, especially, you know, it's finding a healthy, balanced college life can be anxiety producing um, from your social pressures and expectations, potentially moving away from home for the first time, being far away from family, uh, academic expectations, uh, really just learning how to prioritize for the first time and being in charge of yourself for the first time. So many new freedoms. Um, and then I think sometimes we forget when you, you know, you're, if you're first coming to college at 18, 19 years old, your brain is still you know, six to eight years away from finished being developed. And you have so much growth and decision-making skills still to learn. And, but yet you have all these adult responsibilities So it's just a lot to learn how to prioritize and balance. And sometimes we just need the help because that's not taught in middle school and high school. Um, It would be great if it was, but, you know, we get here at this age and it hasn't been, unless you had parents that got you involved in stuff like that, or just a great community of um, support for mental health, it's new information. So it's just, it needs to be more accessible for college students and within the ministry and within the faith. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that point you made at the end is so, so relevant. Like we, we thrust these kids into the real world and into real life. And so many of them have, have just been kind of ushered along by family and parents and loved ones. And now they're just kind of thrown in there and and it can really be very, very overwhelming. Um, so if somebody is listening today, um, who's new to the topic of mental health and mental wellness, what would you say are some of the most important terms, ideas, concepts for them to understand going into it? Um, that's such a big question. And I love it because luckily social media has been helpful and maybe even sometimes harmful in the mental health arena and the terminology that's used, um, Some of it is just being really well explained by online therapists that are licensed and just want to share. And that's spectacular. Some of it's being inappropriately used and um, misexplained. And so people are just getting this huge plethora of information on social media. And so um, some of the terms that we're seeing used and thrown around a lot that are important to, to really check in with yourself of knowing the true meaning and and how it applies to yourself. Um, the first one being trauma 
we're hearing so much about trauma lately. Um, we used to just associate it with, you know, post-war veterans, you know, and PTSD. And that's a relatively new concept to the mental health world. And now we're realizing that trauma has such a wider range of people it affects than just um, people who have experienced the most traumatic events, the most, um, whether it's involved or witnessed. I mean, we know there's even secondhand trauma now and genetic trauma that's passed down between generations. And, um, you know, just it can be anything from a car accident to hearing terrible news and how your brain processes it and how we are able to sit in this sad news. You know, are we distracting ourselves or are we letting ourselves grieve and really saying like, wow, it's okay that this is terrible. We don't have to put a positive spin on terrible things all the time for our brain to really learn how to experience and heal from trauma. So that's a really big one. And it's something that if, um, especially college students, um, you know, with the freedoms and decision-making that comes along with moving away from home for the first time. Sometimes we wonder, you know, was that traumatic? Was it not? Did this, you know, just because it was, you know, a lot of, we hear a lot of times about bicyclists and, you know, pedestrians on campus, like almost getting hit by a car or getting bumped by a car, but I'm okay. And, but then they can't focus and they can't sleep. And, you know, it's just, it, that is scary. <laughs> and so we need, um, sometimes people need help uh, processing even um, what they might consider a small amount of trauma. Um, another one is shame. It's a big um, buzzword right now. And it's great. Thanks, Renee Brown. <laughs> Thank you so much. Gosh, I love her. If I could move to Texas and get my PhD. Um, but she, um, she is, she is really bringing that to light of um, how much it affects us and how much it affects our decision-making and how much it affects our self-esteem and the difference of uh what feeling bad is and thinking you're bad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I made a bad decision or I am bad is two completely different feelings. And we want to stay away from the shameful ones of because we all make bad decisions and we all make mistakes that doesn't make us bad. And so being able to differentiate that part of your identity um, from growth experiences to who am I as a person. And so, you know, we really in therapy, like to help people see, like, just because you've done something that you're not proud of doesn't mean people aren't proud of you or you're not worthy of being proud of. And that definitely flows over into our faith of like, I feel unlovable, you know, when I, because I've done this, you know, quote unquote, terrible thing. Um, so shame is a really big one. And we, we like to unpack that as much as possible in therapy, uh, self-care, oh my gosh, if we can, you know, hashtag self-care left and right. Um, every time we go get a pedicure or a massage and those are part of self-care, we need to reward ourselves in some way, get physical touch um, and, you know, make sure our bodies are feeling good and that we reward ourselves sometimes. But also self-care is doing hard things where we put ourselves first. And sometimes self-care looks like, um, I know that this, I have this free time and instead of, you know, sitting in my dorm room and watching Netflix, which might feel like self-care because I'm relaxing, if I'm not feeding other buckets of my life, like social outlets and my community and investing in my friendships and relationships, then taking yourself a little bit, pushing yourself out of that 
desire to just sit on the couch and disengage from life, Mm -hmm. re-engage, you know, re-engaging in your community and in a relationship that's healthy um, from a friendship to a mentor to, you know, reconnecting with family at home, you know, a great FaceTime conversation is going to be much better self-care than binge watching Netflix. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes self-care isn't just about doing something that feels good, but recognizing what you need for your mental health. Um, so, so those are some of, I think, the biggest things going around right now. Breath work is really big. Um, we could have an episode just on breath work, and so I won't get too far into it, but really learning how to breathe properly, um, especially in times of grief or stress. Um, you guys have finals and midterms and projects and all of this stuff that can be really consuming and literally how we breathe can affect how stressed we get as we work on these assignments and meet these expectations that are being put on us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for some of those, those concepts. I do think those are big ones. And um, I wonder if you might just tell us a little bit um, about some of the differences between like, I know I, I used to get real confused about like psychiatry or psychology or a therapist or, you know, my doctor, like what, can you briefly kind of explain the difference between those, those areas of, of study and the field and what they, what they cover and what they don't cover? Of course. Yeah. It, and there are several, you know, therapists is kind of the broad term. Um, that's really helpful for our counseling, our counselor, um, because there are different degrees, uh, that, mental health professionals can go and get to work in the mental health field. So for people like talk therapy, which is what I do, it means we're going to, you know, talk through whatever's going on for you and come to, you know, some goals together and work towards um, whatever your goals are that you get to set, which is really cool. I just love um, the talk therapy concept of, you know, the client's really in charge of what they want. Why are they seeking therapy? Um, you will see different letters that represent that. You could go to um, an LMHC, which is a licensed mental health counselor, or LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. So just really a lot of them depend on the school they go on and what programs they offer. Mine is a clinical social worker because of the school, the grad school program I went through. And um, one of the things I love about social work and one of the reasons that I chose that um, instead of another one was because it's really a picture of whole wellness. We look um, not just at what chemical balances or imbalances are happening in your brain or in your body, but also, you know, what is your, what is your social atmosphere? How is that contributing to how you're feeling? How is your physical health affecting how your brain is feeling, you know, and in your mood? Um, so it's that picture of whole wellness within social work um, that I, I love and why I chose the social work field. Psychiatry focuses a lot on the brain chemistry and a lot on the chemicals that are affecting your mood. And so when, if you were to see just a talk therapist like myself, and we thought, gosh, you know, it sounds like you would really benefit from something like a Wellbutrin or, you know, any kind of mood stabilizer, um, anything that's going to help those happy drugs in your brain balance out, we're going to have to send you either to a psychiatrist or even to your um, primary care provider to get a prescription. We can't write prescriptions. And so that's a big difference. Primary care providers, we have great varieties here in town. Um, I know, and I'm not even positive, Heather, maybe you know more about campus doctors, like what's provided there. They do have, I mean, there, there is a clinic and they can see a doctor there. And there's also our counseling and wellness center, which has a lot of the talk therapy, um, 
providers and there are psychiatrists there as well. So there's, okay. they do have options on campus. Awesome. And then and so most, have- I think most campuses do. I'm not sure at each and every school, but I think most campuses have those, those centers. So we, you, know, you mentioned medication, and I think that's a great kind of segue into the next question, which is kind of some of the commonly misunderstood concepts around mental mental health and mental wellness. And I know that there is, you know, medication is always one of those tricky ones. You know, is someone going to be pushing meds on me if I don't want them? Is someone going to tell me I should never take meds because I don't need them? And I, I think that's one of the, you know, when we talked ahead of time, that's one of the areas or misconceptions around mental wellness that we talked about. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and any other kind of commonly misunderstood ideas or concepts in the world of mental wellness? Sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, that that category of, you know, I don't want to take a medication versus I really do want to take medication. Mm-hmm. You know, some people live in the gray area in between, you know, I'll take it temporarily as needed. And, you know, there's a variety of options out there. Um, but so there's also a variety of therapists. So it's really important to find the right fit for you. Um, because if you walked into a, you know, a talk therapy session or even a psychiatry session and they're quick to write you a script and that makes you uncomfortable, listen to your body. I mean, listen to that, you know, that instinct of like, I don't like this. I don't feel like this person even got a clear picture of what's going on for me before they're just writing a prescription. If that makes you uncomfortable, seek a second opinion. If people are really saying like, listen, you're, you've been working with a talk therapist for a really long time. And we're just not able to get you over that hump from like a seven on your happy scale to an eight. And that's where we want people to live. We want people to have a general sense of happiness Mm -hmm. um, in their life and satisfaction. And if we are, if you're working with a talk therapist and, and you know, lots of people are saying like, can you try this? Can you try this? Just being open-minded. I mean, therapy is a lot just about growth. And so the miss, conceptions out there of like, we're just here to push drugs on you. Absolutely not. Um, we definitely want you to have coping skills beyond chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are need them for forever and that's okay. And there is no shame in that. That is just their body makeup, but we definitely want you to be the healthiest version of yourself without it if possible. So, um, another misconception that's really big that I see, especially in college students, especially at a school like UF, UF is so hard to get into and, um, people get there and then, and then they're struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with. And they, they're ashamed to seek a therapist out because they shouldn't, they should feel like they shouldn't need help. And I hate that word should, because where does that come from? Who says you shouldn't need help? And they're like, well, my life hasn't been that hard. Um, and so there's this misconception of if you didn't grow up in, you know, these horrific conditions, then you don't need therapy or you don't have any kind of mental health struggles. Um, that's just absolutely not true. And so it just hurts my heart when people feel like they don't deserve help because they grew up in an affluent community or they grew up with great support or they got into their dream school or whatever it is, whatever rationale they're they're telling themselves of why they don't need therapy, because it's just their life hasn't been hard enough. Like if you don't have to wait for it to get that hard to, to want to live your best life. Um, and then I, I think the biggest one that I think that social media is actually helping with, um, that I'm grateful for is normalizing therapy and, you don't have, you know, going to therapy doesn't make you quote unquote, 
quote, crazy. You know, I think a lot of people, there was used to be a lot of shame and secrecy mm-hmm. around therapy, but the more that, um, you know, we're seeing influencers and we're seeing celebrities and people like that, that are like, oh yeah, I go to my therapist once mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just becoming more acceptable without people looking at you like, whoa, I didn't know your life was so messed up or I didn't know you were struggling so hard. You don't have to be struggling so hard to seek out help for processing. That's such a great word. If, if we, I feel like if we get nothing across in any of these, um, any of these podcasts, it's that just that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to hit rock bottom um, to seek out help, to feel better, to, to function more fully, to take care of yourself wholly. So thank you for that. So let's say I decide, (laughs) I decide to go see a therapist. Can you give us a basic overview of kind of like how that might work? Like the therapeutic process, like how to find a a therapist, what it would look like when I went, insurance, that kind of stuff? Yeah. um, So finding the right therapist for you, finding the right fit is number one priority, because if you don't feel like you can trust and open up to, and really be honest, uh, with your therapist, that's, it's just going to hinder your progress. And there's different strokes for different folks. (laughs) You know, it's like, not everybody's going to love me. Not everybody's going to love every therapist. That's just not the reality. And so I love the website and the the resource psychologytoday.com for finding a therapist, because not only do they vet therapists. They actually check your licensure and stuff like that. They also put incredible filters on for not only the area you live in, but what insurance those therapists take. If they currently have openings for new clients, if they're seeing people in person or just virtually right now, if you prefer a certain gender or non-binary, I mean, they have as many filters as I could think of that they would need to really find at least narrow down your search for a therapist. And so you've got to find the person that fits your needs and your timeline and your insurance needs if you have it in your budget. It's just, if you can't afford to go as regularly as you need to go, then that's going to be a hindrance. So you want to take down as many of the um, stumbling blocks as possible to get to your appointments you know, from the get go and really then just finding somebody that you connect with. And it's becoming more normalized in TV shows now. And, but, you know, I know old school perceptions where you're going to go into somebody's office and they're going to have a waterfall playing or some white noise. And, you know, they're going to talk with this, this voice and they're going to have you lay on their couch and ask you about your childhood. And it's just, it's, it's a stereotype. And just like most stereotypes, they came from somewhere, but they don't actually, you know, apply everywhere. So, um, your first appointment, you know, is going to typically be what we would call an intake or an assessment appointment where they are, uh, the therapist is going to ask you a lot of questions, but you know, a a good therapist, in my opinion, is going to leave a lot of that up to you. I mean, I I generally start every question with, Hey, what, what are you more comfortable with? Do you want to tell me why you're here and tell me who you are? Or do you want me to 20 question you because you're overwhelmed and you have no idea what you're doing? (laughs) And it's probably 50, 50 of how people answer that because they're coming in and they've got like an agenda or they're coming in and they're like, I know I need to be here, or I know I want to be here. And I have no idea where to start. And so that first session should just be really getting to know you, why you're here, what you want out of therapy, and a little bit about your history. It shouldn't be like in-depth, tell me your worst, darkest secret. Um, You know, you should feel safe to share what you want to, but not forced to share something you're not ready 
to share. So some, some therapists will even send intake paperwork, Mm -hmm. um, and save you some time and money from that first appointment, you know, to really just get some basics out of you. It really depends on the therapist, but then from there, you know, a couple sessions of really building a relationship with your therapist, finding out if you're a good match, um, making sure you're on the same page with what, why you're there, what you want out of it and making some goals together, um, would, would come a couple sessions in and then the real therapeutic process starts. So like, how do we get you towards your goals? And then to be able to equip you to not need me anymore. The goal of therapy is not keep you in therapy forever. (laughs) It's, it's to equip you to live your best life with the tools that you've learned in therapy. Awesome. Well, I kind of thinking about, what, what might someone be looking for in their lives to signal to them that they should consider seeking counseling? What, what might those be some of the things that you would point out or say, Hey, these are things you should pay attention to. I I love that question because even if you're listening to this podcast and you've been in therapy for 10 years, or you're not even considering therapy right now, um, it's really important to establish a baseline or a normal for you because it's so different for everybody. Like, what do I feel like right now? What do I say? Like my normal or baseline of happy, healthy, I love my life is. Um, Because then when we waver from that, whether it's circumstantial, like um, grief from loss of a loved one or end of a relationship or an adjustment time in your life that you're just struggling to make a new normal for yourself and you realize you're way off of your baseline or even starting to come off of your baseline, that's really helpful. So, you know, kind of do a self-check after listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. of what is my baseline? You know, maybe you haven't been there in two years. Mm you know, maybe my baseline of when I was happiest was high school and now I'm a sophomore or junior and I I haven't found that here yet. Maybe that's a a sign for you of like, wow, maybe I need to talk to somebody about that. What is, what am I not feeling fulfilled in? What bucket here is feeling less than or empty even? And so some of the, some of the red flags, I guess you could call them um, warning signs, maybe that you should talk to somebody. One of them for uh, a lot of people is that I'm just not finding enjoyment in the things I used to find enjoyment. in. if, you know, you're a regular Wednesday night trivia player with your friends or uh, game nights, or I love going to the football games, or I love, um, you know, movie nights with my friends. And then these activities are still happening, but you're finding yourself not wanting to go or going, and then you're on your phone full time, mm-hmm. um, just kind of checked out from things that you used to really enjoy and bring you fulfillment. Uh, maybe you're growing as a person and you just need something different and that's fine. But if you can't even find that thing that brings you that joy, um, is usually a sign that maybe something else is going on for you and to talk to somebody about it and just kind of help you dig, dig a little deeper to figure that out. So a lot of times our physical body tells us when something's going on with our mental health. Um, when you're finding yourself having trouble sleeping, eating, feeling motivated to move your body, uh, just kind of like people might describe it as feeling stuck in a rut. Um, you just might need help articulating what's going on for you that's affecting your body uh, so much. You find yourself not living in the present moment, um, either focusing and ruminating on something that happened in the past that you haven't moved on from uh, or moved forward with, as well as maybe worrying about something in the future. You know, it's, I don't know when this is going to launch November, and then you have a month till finals and all you can think about is finals. 
and you have a whole month of November still maybe to, you know, enjoy and prepare, but you're just, you're so engulfed in the stress um, and the worry. That's usually a warning sign that you're not living in the present. You're not being mindful of what's really happening around you. Um, we hear people say all the time, I drove somewhere. And when I parked my car in the parking lot, I realized I don't even remember driving here. I really hope all those lights were green. Like, okay, like, let's think about like, what were you thinking about during that time? Instead of focusing on the road, where are we losing our mindfulness and being present in the present moment? And then a big one we see in college students is really just needing help adjusting to a new normal and a new freedom they've never had. Adjustment disorder is a real diagnosis because sometimes in life, we are not taught how to cope with change. I mean, I know for me, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. And so I, I changed bedrooms once <laughs> I went from sharing a room to having my own bedroom was probably the biggest transition I had to make before I was 18. And so then like all this responsibility and, you know, this will, this will age me, but learning how to balance a checkbook, you know, you guys just have to check your Venmo balance, but like learning how to check my checkbook to how much, so I knew how much money was in my checking account. Nobody had ever taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I'm just handed this debit card and it's like, go to town and not really, (laughs) there's not an endless amount of money in my bank account. So those kind of adjustments and then it's in my failure because I don't know how to budget, even though I never had to budget before. Um, A lot of times college is the first time you find yourself in a romantic relationship that's serious or the first time you ever get your heart broken. And so that adjustment from single life to, you know, serious monogamous relationship or, um, you know, serious monogamous relationship back to single life. Those are huge transitions. And again, back to that brain development, you know, decision-making, all of that stuff that's still happening for college students, they don't know what to do next. And that's scary and overwhelming and sometimes really sad. Like it's sad feeling helpless or hopeless or, you know, just like, I don't know, I want this fixed and I can't fix it. What do I do next? Um, So those, you know, those are like, I need to talk to someone. I need an outside perspective. I need... I need help figuring out how to go through this path. So yeah, And I think, you know, one of the things that I, as you're talking, one of the things I keep thinking about too, is just what you said at the very beginning, just what an overwhelming time college is in so many ways. And so, you know, I I always say this, that I feel like it should just be like a, a regulation of life, like to be a human, you have to see a therapist. Um, and I think, I mean, I really think that's true for college students. Like if it was accessible and possible for anyone to be able to sit down and just talk through the transition, talk through the change, talk through all the new things they're experiencing, because ultimately at some point or another, it is going to become overwhelming. Um, and so there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with saying, I just got to talk this through. I need some help. So, yeah, I remember my, uh, freshman year taking my first religion class and, just, you know, especially if you grew up in a faith community, your parents have an influence, your youth pastor, your head pastor, all these people have an influence on the faith that you've developed. And then if you leave and you're surrounded by a completely different community, of even faith followers, you know, Christ followers or people of the faith, then one of my professors said something that was so counter to what I was taught. But he, here he is, this authority. I mean, I was a religion major. Mm-hmm. And here he is, on the, you know, he's this huge authority figure. And I'm going to be tested on this. And it's not what I was taught or necessarily what I believed at the time. And I walked out of class crying. Like, I don't know how to process yeah. that this is like, it almost felt forced on me. You know, like, 
But at the same time, it was a good point. And so I was questioning myself and questioning my faith and questioning my parents and questioning my upbringing. And it was just, <laughs> that had never happened to me before. And I went into his office, the professor's office, and called my youth pastor. I was like, what do you think he means? Like in years. Because it was just, I didn't know how to do that yet. I didn't know how to grow and think of different perspectives. And it's just <laughs> such a huge transition. Yeah. Well, I, I want to um, to end with this question. And again, we're kind of asking everybody this question and it's a big one. Um, but if there was one concept, one, one piece of information about mental wellness that you can make sure every one of our listeners understood, what would that be? Um, I've changed my mind like 10 times since we talked about this. And then I, <laughs> I still went back to the original, which is so funny. Um, I would have to say the connectedness between your mental, emotional, physical, and even for this audience, your faith health, Um, because we often silo these concepts. We say, you know, we look at somebody who we think might be in physical health, um, but then mental health you know, they, we just make assumptions about people based on their looks or they act happy all the time. I mean, how many memes have we seen, you know, how many internet things that go viral Um, about Robin Williams to say, like, check on even your happiest friends. Um, Because just because somebody looks emotionally healthy or presents emotionally healthy, doesn't mean they're mentally healthy, doesn't mean they're physically healthy. And so we see, and I, I think I mentioned it briefly earlier, just about, you know, if you're not sleeping, if your digestion's off, we're like, oh, you know, a lot of times we'll say, oh, you know, I have stress tummy or, you know, it's like that travel tummy or anything that's just different than normal. Um, a lot of people don't know that our serotonin, which is one of our happy drugs in our brain that, you know, our body naturally produces to keep us balanced around 90% of those those happy drugs are actually manufactured and stored in our gut biomes. So meaning like when we're sad or when we're stressed um, and we get that upset stomach and we're like, Oh my gosh, you know, if I could just fix this and like, it's just, we think it's one area or another, you know, go take some tons or go take some Pepto or something and, and we'll be fine. Like, no, address what's going on for you mentally and emotionally because that affects our body. And so really paying attention to symptoms other than, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't feel sad all the time. I don't need to go to a therapist. (laughs) It's like, okay. Um, But you haven't slept for more than 30 minutes at a time in two months because you're stressed or because you're heartbroken or because you're homesick. All of these things that, you know, our mental, physical, emotional wellness are so tied together. So paying attention to all of those signs and then knowing that, you know, a therapist is going to encourage you to address all of those at the same time. We're not just going to give you worksheets to address work on your mental health and checklists. You know, it's, it's going to be about how are you balancing because that's so much a picture of our full wellness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. That's just great information. And it's so interesting to me that we, that piece about the serotonin, I mean, that's just a, that's a great fact for us to, to remember. I mean, it is not just, we often think of our brain, but it's our whole body. I mean, everything that we, we take in, put in, um, how we treat ourselves, self-care, the things we do. I mean, it impacts all of it. Yeah. Well, Julie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat and to share this information with us. This is such good, important information for everyone to understand and know. Um, We are grateful for 
your wisdom and your heart and your passion. And if anyone listening is interested in contacting Julie with questions or even um, contacting her about potentially seeing her as a therapist, her contact information will be included um, on the website with the podcast links. Um, She's awesome and wonderful and just really appreciate the time today. Um, It's been a great conversation. 